Hello and welcome to another fun episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show. Today, I had the pleasure of doing a part two interview with Lisa Song Sutton. We first interviewed Lisa back in the summer of 2021, and just recently I had the opportunity to sit back down with Lisa, this time in person in a studio, which was very fun, to hear all about what she's been up to in the past two years. Since we first interviewed Lisa, her pack and ship store has become even more successful, and in addition, Lisa's become a venture capitalist and opened a completely new real estate brand, well, really a franchise of a major real estate brand called Angle and Volkers in the Las Vegas area, which is super cool. We talk about why she did all of those things and how she did all of those things. Uh, in addition, we cover Lisa's tips for networking, additional ways that she's been growing her personal brand and why that's been so effective for her businesses. We've discussed how she manages to continue to operate so many different companies and run them successfully. We discuss why Lisa believes entrepreneurs should invest in real estate. And as always on the Lewis and Kyle show, we cover a whole lot more. I'm pumped for you to listen to this part two episode with Lisa, and I'm going to switch over to it right now. Enjoy. Lisa, I'm excited to be doing this in person today. Thanks for doing this. I know. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. Absolutely. So I first interviewed you in 2021, about two years ago. What is kind of the biggest difference in terms of your philosophy towards business, how you see the world, how you've maybe like leveled up or just gone through a series of beliefs, or you've just kind of been crushing according to the same framework? Like, How do you characterize how you've changed as a business operator in the past two years? Well, there's been a lot of exciting movement in the last two years. Um, one of the main things for sure has been my work with the Veteran Fund. It's our venture capital fund that invests in... I have several questions ready to yes. discuss that. Okay, so. perfect. Yeah, so definitely the fund for sure. Um, it literally just... It has exploded. Um, and last time we talked, it wasn't even a twinkling in my eye. So it just goes to show uh, when you are invited to an opportunity or you seek out an opportunity, um, you just jump on it and look how quickly things can grow and scale in a very short amount of time. Um, another just very fast moving part has been the real estate brokerage. Um, last time we talked, I had a different brand. Um, now we've got a new brand with Angle Invokers. It's very exciting. And so, um, again, just an example of when you have unique opportunities set in front of you, if you act quickly, you may get rewarded very quickly too, which has been really exciting. Yeah. I saw a tweet or an Instagram. Yeah, I was kind of consuming all the feeds to see all everything that's been new from you and uh, research for this. And you have something that said, just say yes to every opportunity for the next 60 days, like any invitation to go out to any event or party mm -hmm. or networking or just like lunch appointment, breakfast appointment, just say yes for 60 days. Like what could happen, right? Like who could you meet? What could you end up doing? What experiences or opportunities might come about? It could be life-changing. Mm -hmm. I always say like not much is going to happen to you, you know, in your bedroom, in your home office, like even just no, the basic things like anything, right? If, if you simply stay at home, you only stay at home. What do you expect to happen? There's very rarely is someone going to come knock on your door, right? And then what? Like, what are they doing? Are they selling you something? Like, who's coming there? You have to be out. You have to be out and about. I think it's also like the habit of being the type of person who's out and about as well. It's like when that when you first start doing that, it's like, okay, this is like a special thing that I'm doing. But then you all of a sudden get in a rhythm of like, it's just your life now. It's like you're doing some interesting thing like every single week. It's like when your friend calls you and you answer and like, oh, I'm out and about right now. It's like, you're not surprised. It's yes, like exactly, exactly. And there is a cadence that you can set to it. It doesn't have to be manic. It doesn't have to be frantic. It doesn't have to feel reactionary. The nice thing about your schedule is that you actually get to decide when you want to be out, when you don't. And if there's certain days, like for me, I take Sundays as like the day that I either don't do anything at all 
certainly no business meetings or Zoom meetings or anything like that. Um, and I'll keep it totally social. Like this Sunday, I'm doing brunch with the girls. Amazing. One question I kind of had prepared, and I want to ask you the story in more detail in terms of how the venture fund kind of came to you as an opportunity. Uh, another kind of tweet you put out the other day, I'm going to look down so I can quote it, was stop hanging out with people who don't want you to win. And I think one thing that's really been a big difference in your career and I've seen is just the network you have and the friends you have and the mentors that you have. And so my question is someone reads that and goes, okay, that makes sense. How do you start out? How do you find people who want you to win? So everyone's like, okay, I understand I have these negative people. I shouldn't be saying, I shouldn't be spending time with them. They're making me more negative. But where do you actually go out into the world when you're first starting out and find those people who want you to win? Like, how do you get that encouraging circle? It's proximity. So if there's someone that you have in your life or maybe that you see online uh, that you want to be around, how can you go be around them? Are they hosting an event? Are they speaking at an event? Um, Are they going to be at something that you could also gain access to? Get over there. Get in their circle. Get in their presence. Introduce yourself and get a chance to be around them. Another great source for me personally has just been in uh, like-minded groups. I'm part of a group called YPO, the Young Presidents Organization. And with YPO, it's full of uh, business people, entrepreneurs, uh, C-suite level folks, and everyone is working on their business. They're working on themselves as well from a personal development angle, and they care about their community. So right off the bat, we have a lot of common interests, even though we're in different industries and other things. And that puts me in a place where I'm around folks who I want to be around and I also get to learn from. Amazing. I think a lot of people realize or don't realize they have that, like a limiting belief that they themselves have to be a person of interest or like they have to have something valuable or have some like massive achievement before they even show up. And I think that just having energy and oftentimes being young and having high energy and like being open to meeting people and just like being happy to be there like is enough to show up. Like you don't have to show up with a crazy resume. That's right. Yeah. Being, I think being inexperienced actually can be a superpower if you are young and enthusiastic and energetic. If you have those three things, you're young, enthusiastic, and energetic, it's actually, it's more to your advantage to be inexperienced because then when you get into rooms with folks who have more experience than you, they're excited because in general, they probably were also young, energetic, and enthusiastic and inexperienced at some point in their life. So you have that commonality with them. They see something in you that reminds them of themselves when they were that age. And usually most successful people want to pay it for. They want to help. Exactly. And they want to be seen as valuable and seen as like having important information and being able to help someone because when they're at a stage, when they're kind of personally have their cup full, it's like the only thing that is fulfilling is helping other people. That's right. Exactly right. How did the venture firm come onto your plate? What were, like, where were you doing? Was it just a phone call and you're like, oh my goodness, this is like a whole chapter that just opened out of nowhere or you kind of have some clues? Like, let's, let's start there. So with the veteran fund in particular, yes, it was literally a phone call. Um, but the precursor leading into it, I had been, I, I've been an angel investor for years and I love being an angel investor. I had been curious about venture capital, but being a founder myself and not having ever raised for any of my companies, venture and private equity seemed really foreign to me Mm -hmm. um, and a little overwhelming and a little scary. So I knew I wanted to get into it. I didn't know how. Um, Prior to the Veteran Fund, I had been solicited by some other fund opportunities as either an LP or a GP, a limited partner or a general partner. And uh, for example, there was one particular fund that I got pretty heavy into due diligence with. 
Um, and there was a chance of me joining as a GP, as a general partner. And uh, I flew to uh, Park City and met with some of the folks there of this particular fund. And when I asked them, well, so what are we doing exactly for these entrepreneurs besides writing them checks? And no one really had a good answer. I came away from that visit not feeling excited, not feeling great about that. But I just told myself, hey, maybe that is venture because I don't know, right? I don't know what venture is supposed to be. So maybe that is venture. Maybe it's just write them checks. Yeah, you you write them checks, your capital allocators, and you wait around for their quarterly update and you hope it's good. And if it's bad, you, you know, burn your losses, cut your losses and, and focus on the winners. Is, is that venture? And I was like, okay, maybe it is. Literally a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from Justin Nahama, who's one of the partners in the veteran fund. And I've known Justin for several years. And he called me and he said, hey, so we've just put together this fund. Um, we want to pitch you as an LP. We think it's, you know, an incredible opportunity and, and we'd love to have you on board. And so I did a Zoom session with them, um, with Ryan, Mike, and Justin. And I just, I loved everything that they were doing. And this is brand new. This is right when the fund, I think I was like LP number two or three. I was really early in the fund. And I was like, love it. Sign me up. I'm in. And um, a couple of days later, I called Justin back. I said, what is it going to take for me to be a GP, mm. general partner, right? And he goes, well, it's, it's not really how it works. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about venture. I said, but what I do know is that I would love to be involved on the decision-making process of which investments we make and which companies we decide to invest in. And I would also love to be part of how we show up for these founders. And he was like, talk to the guys, you know, like talk to the guys. I, like I said, I knew Justin, didn't know Mike and Ryan well at that time. And they didn't know me either, right? But very um, kind of surface level. And I said, I'm, I'm happy to fly out and meet with everyone in person so that way the other guys get a chance to know me. Um, and I just, I think I could be a value add. I really do. And he was like, Oh, he was like, let me talk to them, you know, and um, and I appreciate that that one, they even took the time to have the discussion offline without me involved because what I was asking them was a big lift. I was essentially asking them to make room for me on the equity side, make room for me on the cap table, um, because I want to partner with you, right? More than just writing a check in and being a, an investor in the fund, I want to be a partner and. And I appreciate that they, one, even took that into consideration. And then two, they were like, okay, fly out. Let's all meet up in San Diego and let's talk about what this really could look like if the four of us work together. And that's what happened. I basically muscled my way in. <laughs> uh, there's a big theme of our first conversation is just creative deal making. Mm-hmm. Just not really being like, okay, I'm offered to be an LP. That's therefore the only way we could potentially work together in the future is what you came to me with. It's okay, well, I have my own ideas too. And let's see if we can work them out. Yeah. And I looked at it as one, of course, how can I provide value, right? And I knew that I have a great network and I have a great support system of people who believe in me and the things that I work on. So I knew I could bring in other LPs for sure, right? Um, But then I was also like, you know, I'm a bit of a generalist in the sense if you look at my portfolio of companies. So as a result, I've got subject matter expertise in certain areas, you know, real estate, food and beverage. But as as a partner in the fund, I think that that could be valuable because then I can have touch points in a lot of different areas for whichever companies that we're looking at and doing due diligence on. And um, so so I wanted to make sure I had that kind of pitch tight of like, what, what value can I bring? Why should you be making room for me in the first place? And then 
self-servingly, I looked at it as an opportunity to really learn about venture on the ground level, mm-hmm. right? How better can I learn about venture capital and venture capital fund than not only being an investor in one, but also helping manage one day to day, run it, help run it day to day. There's no other better way that I'll learn about venture than in, in a short amount of time than being part of it. Yeah, I think the key question that you asked them was, what would it take for me to do this? Not, I'd like to do this. Mm-hmm. Please, let's, how, like, what would it take for the, to do this? Because it forces the other person. It's such a fair question. It's like, is there a reality in which if a person provided all of these things to the table, you would make them this offer? And it's basically putting the ball in their court to like do the creative thinking rather than yourself just kind of like thinking you're entitled to be doing it or like, I'm so cool and like, look at all this experience. But it's like, because obviously there's a way that it is a win. It's like everyone can make any situation a win if you frame it the right way and let them come up with all the right reasons. And I think that's just such a valuable kind of thing. It's like, you ever want to raise? It's like, what would it take for me to get a raise? Not, can I get a raise? Like what? Because then they list out the criteria for you Mm -hmm. and then burdens on you to go meet them all, but Mm -hmm. go meet them all. And then they're kind of, not forced to say yes, but they've if they're a fair person and they spelled out the criteria fairly, it's how you get what you want. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. They came to me with a proposal of this is what we'd like to propose for you to be at the GP level. This is what the numbers look like. This is what percentages look like. This is what would be asked of from a day to day or management standpoint. And we came to we came to an agreement on it. So tell me about the thesis because I mean that's kind of like the initial reason why you got so motivated to go through all this effort of negotiating your way all in all the way to the, the partner level. So with the veteran fund, I love that we have a really tight criteria. We invest in pre-seed stage companies that are technology companies that are focused on national security and dual use component and they must have a veteran or military spouse on their leadership team. Can you define dual use? So dual use simply means that there's a commercial application and also a government application. Okay. What are some companies that y'all have invested in and maybe just one or two like highlights and what the reason you're excited about them? Yeah. So um, our most recent investment is a company called Firestorm. They're 3D printing drones that have deliverables attached to them. Uh, they're doing this at a significantly lower cost than what's currently being done, for example, with our government now. And um, it's an incredible team, incredible founders. Um Lone Star Data is another company within our portfolio, and they're putting data centers on the moon. Um, It sounds, you know, kind of this like outlandish uh, kind of one-liner, but it's really interesting what's going on up there right now. There really is a real estate grab, a real estate play being made on the moon by China, Russia, United States. Like there's there's so many moving parts that are happening up there. Um, And this is just, you know, another opportunity for us to support uh, not only the United States, you know, we, we like to say that we're protecting America through venture capital, um, supporting the United States and, you know, supporting a strong military and support, supporting our warfighters, but also, you know, how do we help keep driving the the country forward in latest technology? Because let's face it, some of the, the, the best technology and the best ideas come out of private sector. They don't come out of public sector usually, right? They come out of the private sector. So, how do we harness what's going on and all the amazing innovations coming out of private sector and utilize that in government role, utilize that to government capabilities and tweak them for the Army and the Navy and the military to use, uh, again, to the advantage of our country as a whole? What are kind of the demographics of the opportunity scope that you're looking at? Like how many, I don't know if it's a percentage, but of the startups that are kind of at that pre-seed stage are mil- have a military person on the roster? 
that like would make them eligible? Is that like 1% of all kind of startups that come out? Like, how are you finding these people? And like, do you have tons to choose from? Or there's kind of only so many former military people making tech startups that are investable? We we see a lot of companies. We review a lot of companies. Um, and we say no far more than we say yes. For example, we've only made seven investments so far. In what period of time? Um, within in about 12 months. Okay. Done seven investments in 12 months. Um, and that's literally going through so many deals, <laughs> looking at a lot of deals. Um, with our component of having a veteran or military spouse in leadership, um, we broaden that to say in leadership as opposed to being a founder or co-founder. Um, if you say founder or co-founder, it does tighten up the amount of deal flow. Um, so we opened that aperture a little bit to say that they have to be in leadership. So that would be in C-suite. Um, and and, and that's, that's allowed the deal flow to, to open up a little bit. And I also like, too, that um, we have had some great companies come our way that checked all the boxes except for that last one. And we told them, look, unfortunately, that is part of our investment criteria. Mm-hmm. If you do end up onboarding a veteran or military spouse into your leadership, come back. Let us know. Keep us updated. Um, and so I love that we're also advocating for hiring of our veteran and military spouse community as well. So across the board, right, you're, like you said, you have a broad portfolio, you have a real estate brokerage, and I don't want to get my vocabulary wrong with the terminology there, but a real estate brokerage, a, you know, retail food and beverage location, I don't know how active your e-commerce stores still are, again, the social media personality, there's there's a lot going on. How are you personally deciding, first of all, that this specific opportunity was worth, like, another thing to juggle on your plate? Because, again, it's taking time away from investing time and energy into the existing things that you're maintaining, uh, so how did you decide this opportunity particularly was worth it? And more broadly, when things come your way or when you get an idea, when do you decide to execute on it or just kind of put it on the list of like maybe sometime later? With the fund, I knew that it was a, a really unique timing for when I was having the conversation with them because um, my other companies have scaled and aged outside of real estate and the fund. Um, everything else is now going on seven years plus. Yeah, we didn't talk about the uh, pack and ship store either. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, in its fifth year, for example. And so now, you know, I'm not working the store day today, right? I'm not even there on Saturdays, which is what I used to do just a couple of years ago. Um, So as a result, because things have, my other businesses have aged and scaled and don't require me to be as hands-on anymore, that has freed up my bandwidth to focus on the brokerage, to focus on the venture capital fund. Um, and also what's helped as well is I did an exercise with the mentor and we took out butcher paper and he said, Lisa, write down all of your projects. So that includes everything, right? All the businesses, um, nonprofit work, board positions. Yeah, we didn't talk about any of the politics or any of the, yeah. Yeah, write down everything, yeah. right? Write down everything that that's a, that is a project for you that, that you've got going space on. space in your head. Exactly right. And so you write it all out and it's there's tons of stuff. And then we had different color markers. And he is like, okay. He is like, circle all the ones that make you money. Circle, 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 right? And there's a whole half of the page that is not circled. Um, and then it's circle um, the ones that you find purposeful work. Like you you feel like you, you do like deep purposeful work. Certain ones you circle, certain ones you don't. And then um, circle the ones that you could see yourself doing for the next 10 years. That you that you would still be involved with in the next ten years. Again, there's it's not everything, right? Um, and so once you start breaking that down, you look at the ones that either have no circles around them at all, 
or the ones that only have one circle around them, um, that's when you can start crossing stuff off your list. And I would say just a little over a year ago is when I started wrapping my head around the idea of taking things off of my plate from an involvement standpoint, which is not a mode I had been in a long time, if ever. Yeah, I love how simple exercises like that are. And I think it's one of the things about paying for coaching or paying for mentors is they rarely come to you with like these crazy frameworks. It's mm-hmm. like get a big piece of paper, write everything mm-hmm. down and make a couple notes about it. But it's just the literally like another person staring at you, forcing you to spend the time on this like silly exercise that might mm-hmm. seem like by yourself. You'd be like, that's so obvious I can do that in my head. And then in your head, you just don't make any any progress. Exactly. And there's a visual component too of like, laying out all the things that you have that that you work on and then the ones that are all circled and you see the overlapping circles and and you feel good about those circles and there's projects that have no circles around them and you're like why am i involved i was like giving this i'm not even doing anything living rent free in my head totally right and i don't feel purposeful about it it doesn't make me any money i don't even you know i don't see myself doing this for a long time like why am i doing it right now and that's when you can get clarity around the stuff that you just cross off What else would have been helpful to have been doing earlier kind of in your career managing several projects, kind of being, again, a serial entrepreneur? Like, what are some other frameworks, toolkits, whatever? Maybe it's like one thing we've been doing at uh, Orbit is like implementing EOS, the kind of... Yes, uh, the great system. Yeah, EOS is great. Use all your your businesses use EOS or... And it, that's a new thing. Okay. Yeah. Like we just overlaid that into our real estate brokerage. Oh, interesting. And so just even the idea of like missions and values, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting getting agents around mission and value. Um, it, that's been a new thing within the last year. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you have to, and this is going to inspire everyone to go. The, the thing about US that's just really cool, it's kind of like, this is like a really random abstraction, but like accounting, for example, is a common language across all businesses. That's like mm-hmm. what the value of accounting is. It's like it's defined and everyone uses the same or one of two systems. Mm-hmm. And it's like everyone can understand it and like understand exactly what's going on, even if you don't know the complexities. And so we've been trying to work with a lot of businesses that use EOS. We've been trying to use EOS because then it's like you just work. It's synergistic. You, well, yeah. you just like understand. Like Makes they, sense. they understand how you each other work. Mm-hmm. So like are you personally on the like level 10 meetings for all these businesses? So exactly. So we really try to follow. There's a book called Traction, mm-hmm. which is where um, EOS is really nicely laid out. Um, we really try to follow Traction to a T. Um, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we really try to follow it to a T. Yeah, that's been our big initiative for this quarter has been like, all right, we that's read the awesome. book. Yeah. And it made sense. And they're just two of us and we live together. So we kind of could like get by not mm-hmm. doing any of the stuff. And now sure. we're like, there's more than two of us mm-hmm. and it's going to fall apart quickly if we don't have all the stuff in place. Yeah, that's, it, it's so smart that you guys are doing it now um, for the longest time, especially even with like cupcakes, right? We were just like flying by the seat of our pants. We're very reactionary to like, oh, well, we're growing. Oh, wow, we need to hire more people. Oh, wow, we're scaling. Like it, it was a constant like surprise reaction. Whereas it, there's something really comforting about when you're in the driver's seat of your growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been one of my big kind of lessons from the podcast or just like business career in general over the past several years has been like finding good systems for doing things than this completely surrendering to the process of doing them. Like mm-hmm. not like a, I know better than the person who wrote this book. Like I know better than Gina Wickman who was use the same system in 10,000 businesses and it's worked for all of them. Like me who, you know, I'm young and I'm a millennial Gen Z, whatever I am, Mm -hmm. wherever I am on the cutoff. And I know better than him because I had the internet and he didn't have the internet. It's just like all that stupid beliefs. It's just like, no, it's like, I'm not going to do, this is a services consulting business. It's a real estate business. It's an investing business. It's a restaurant or it's Mm -hmm. a bakery. Like those have all been run and operated before. We have our unique twist, but in terms of like the system of coordinating humans and coordinating money, 
to get stuff done on a cadence and like interacting with it. We're like, that's just been done so many times. Yeah. And and the sheer human level of like, how do you intrinsically motivate people? How yeah. do you create a culture of a teamwork? And how, how do you create um, a framework at the company that gets people excited about the work that they do? And so as a result, it pumps out good work. You end up with quality staff and it drives it an excellent customer experience. That's going to be applicable across the board, regardless of what industry you're in. Exactly. And another one that I, I don't know if you know Nick Ray, the cocktail party guy. Oh, yeah. So I just like, saw him a couple of weeks ago. He was here in Vegas. Oh, shoot. I wasn't here, I guess. I was going to say he didn't text me, but I wasn't here. So that's just another thing, right? He's like, this is how, if you move to a new city, this is the best way to make friends and network, throw a two-hour party, buy a harmonica, use name tags, make an invitation, <laughs> put this on the invitation, copy paste it works perfectly so i just mm-hmm. like did five of those exactly according to his framework and like it worked really well oh, amazing instead of nice. being like oh I, you know i've hosted a party before i'm from vegas mm-hmm. right i know how to host a party mm-hmm. just like buy Follow a framework, framework use it and then after like five or six be like you know what maybe like this a thing's twist. a little bit yeah, exactly yeah. are there any other ones that are like whether it's like how you've grown an audience on social media or like anything else besides so we got we got the traction we have uh the nick ray cocktail party <laughs> framework anything else that like you just like plug and played and it's been super effective um, I mean, it's just more been around SOPs that that we've created ourselves um, that have truly worked. Like, for example, with the brokerage, um, a lot of with the with our advisors, with the real estate agents, um, they're trying to grow a sphere of influence, right? Um, it, so you have like cold leads, but then you also have people that are warm leads, and that comes from your sphere. So how do you continue to grow your sphere? And you hear this like, oh, you should network or whatever. But what we what did- What do you mean by sphere? Is that like a kind of just a- Your sphere of influence, like okay. the people that are around you that could potentially be become real estate clients. And um, what we suggested was to create a meetup group. So meetup.com, right? You can yep. go to meetup and find a bunch of different, uh, w- whatever's interesting to you. And you can go join these activities. And um, we suggested to our agents to create a meetup group. And it's not that it's a meetup group on real estate investing. It's a meetup group that is applicable to whatever may be applicable to your life at the moment. And so, for example, one of our agents named Sarah, she's relatively new to Las Vegas and she's 25 years old. So she created a meetup group for young ladies in their 20s who have just moved to Las Vegas. She's got like 90 people in the group and she's crushing it, right? So every every couple of weeks, she hosts a, a coffee meetup or something really casual, yoga meetup, whatever, with this group. and. The whole purpose was just creating new friends, right? A new friend group, new people to meet. No doubt, obviously, there's ancillary benefits of now it turns into real estate business. I just, I loved that that was um, so applicable for her. It was simply like, hey, I'm 25 and I'm new to this city. I should create a group of other 20-something-year-olds new to the city. It was, it was so perfect as opposed to trying to figure out, well, you know, I maybe it should be tied to real estate, or maybe it should be first-time home buyers, or maybe it should be whatever. Um, it's something as simple and kind of baseline as that has resulted in this really great group that she's created. Let's talk about the rebrand, and I don't know if that's the proper term either. I'm trying to get it all right, but the uh, was with Christie's. Now it's an Angle and Volkers. How did that happen? What were like the benefits of doing that? I think I think there was like a I think there's like a profile I did with Cody where it went through the whole thing. But what's like the uh, the story, because I think it was like the first one in Vegas and like that was a whole big deal. Yeah. It's so like, how did all this come about? Why did, why was that worth the time and energy to go through all of that? Yeah. So it was very exciting. So um, brought Christie's to Las Vegas, super exciting. Um, in uh, November of 21, um, Christie's International Real Estate got purchased by a company called At Properties out of the Midwest. 
And um, so that's when we knew that there was going to be another opportunity for us to pick up a great brand in Vegas. Um, With Angle Invokers, they are um, an international brand based out of Germany, uh, operated in over 37 countries. They have over 270 locations just in North America alone. And um, they'd had a small presence here in Henderson. Mm -hmm. Um, but this was our opportunity to buy in as majority shareholders and really explode the brand, um, bring it across Las Vegas, bring it across Summerlin, bring it across Mount Charleston. Um, and so now we've, we're just a little over a year in and it's been really fun, definitely a a steep learning curve and a a journey of, um, taking this really great brand, um, that already had a small presence here and then trying our best to really grow it significantly. Um, and taking a lot of the lessons that we had learned from other great storied brands, established brands, um, and overlaying it with our vibe and, and our flavor to it. And it's been a lot of fun. I was looking at the website. There are some sweet homes on there. I was like, those yeah. are some good cool ones. <laughs> the, the front page of the website was done really well. Well, there's so much great, not only real estate here, but also just the exposure and the network that we have through EV. Um, the real estate is absolutely amazing. Um, and most importantly, I love how collaborative the entire network is. Um, we're all in this private Facebook group um, for EV North America. And it's like all these advisors in there and everyone just kind of shares what's going on or good ideas or bad ideas, like what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, Recently, uh, one of our advisors, Andrea Weaver, she is also a yoga instructor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she hosted a yoga event at the park. And um, we had these mason jars, glass mason jars etched with her Andrea Weaver Angle Invokers logo on there. And they turned out so cute. And so we threw it in the chat just to be like, hey, everyone, you know, we found a local engraver. These turned out really great. Here's an idea for you. And I mean, over 100 people were like, send me the information. Would love to do it. That's a great idea. I want to do that in my city. It was just very collaborative and really fun. Now, being in groups where everyone's doing the same thing in like a sort of non-competitive way has been critically helpful. I mean, I'm in one for agency owners and we're one of the only tech services in that group. So everyone mm, is doing perfect. the same kind of B2B marketing strategies, but we're mm-hmm. just not overlapping in terms of what we provide from a fulfillment perspective. Mm-hmm. And there's so much good stuff in there. It's all like young dudes. So it's very much like a, I don't know, what's the word for this? It's very, it's a vulgar Slack channel of like 200 <laughs> it's dudes. It's like a bro vibe in there. It's extremely <laughs> bro vibe. It's extremely bro vibe. Uh, and so, and the guys who run it, they're just like, all their ads are like, if you want to be put on the sauce, join this group. And that's what they call it. And I'm like, it's worked. Nice. It's, that's great. It's put us on the sauce. So. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It, it's so important to just be around, uh, whether it's, a gr- again, proximity, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a, a digital group like that or an in-person group, it's the proximity because someone's going to have an idea or an experience that you don't know about and you get to learn about it and it makes you better. Absolutely. So you had this blog post published like a week ago or two weeks ago. It was very recently on Forbes, why entrepreneurs should invest in real estate. And it's interesting because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, maybe it's egotistical, whatever it is, they're like, why would I invest in real estate when I can pour back into my own business, when I could invest in myself? Because uh, you put this article, that's like kind of a bold claim. It's like entrepreneur, I understand why like non-entrepreneurs should invest in real estate because mm-hmm. maybe they've never really learned the skills to mm-hmm. use capital to make more money mm-hmm. in any other way. That's kind of less straightforward or less widely understood or less like commonly just things people do. Maybe they don't know anyone who does anything else. But for entrepreneurs specifically, why like do you feel that is still part of a good thing to do? So number one, tax benefits, right? If if you are an entrepreneur and you make a lot of money, there is no reason that you should be not exploring depreciating tax benefits. Real estate's one of the best ways to literally reduce down your taxable income. So that way you can keep more of what you're making as an entrepreneur. 
Secondly, there's really no other asset aside from maybe some unicorn company that is built where you put in your initial investment and then it just simply appreciates and grows over time. And with real estate, I guess similar to a business, but I mean, business is even more volatile. With real estate, you're creating your own bank with every property that you own. Now you have this teeny tiny little bank that has an address attached to it that you can borrow money from to shove back into a business or start a new business. Um, it, it, it creates this nice little pocket for you that I think even a business is, is hard to do. Even if you have a nice, lovely cash flowing business that makes millions of dollars a year, you still may have volatile months. You still may have ups and downs. And with real estate in general, it's super steady. Is there a system or a person kind of carrying out the theme of just being like one approaching a new thing? There's just a there's a box or a model and you can just buy it, learn it, follow it. Is there a particular approach to real estate investing that you think is like approachable, well done for the most part, like a pretty easy to adopt system? I think well, or a person who's like trust trustworthy, worthwhile to follow. Yeah, there's um, I mean, there's so many out there. I do like um, especially for for folks in their 20s, um, the house hacking method. Um, my real estate partner, Kathy, actually did this herself when she was in her 20s. She bought her first property as a primary residence. She mm-hmm. bought a house to live in, right? She bought a three-bedroom house. And then she rented out all the other bedrooms to roommates. She's in her 20s, still roommates. Okay, fine. And she rented the, all, all the other rooms. So that way, her mortgage was paid for and the HOA was paid for. So she paid no money to live and her mortgage was getting paid for. And she was accumulating all of that equity in the home during that time. I, I think that's one of the best ways to become a real estate investor because then two years later, you can move out of that house and repeat, do the exact same thing over. And now you have an investment property. You have a cash flowing property um, that you can utilize again as a bank if you need to. Um, you could sell it if you have to, but it's helpful just to have another asset that helps add directly to your net worth. Um, even as you, as you keep your eyes focused on larger investments. Um, to become an accredited investor, it's because they're not including your primary residence in your net worth. So you've got to have other assets that are available. Yes, it could be a business, but most of the time, it's go- easily, it should be real estate. No, that's a really good point in terms of like a way to fast track the accredited investor status. Mm-hmm. That's like a really good point that I've not thought of. So yeah, so. house hacking for sure. Um, there's I follow uh, Thack Wynn. Um, he's great on on Instagram. Um, he's pretty prolific. Is he the one with his son? And he's like, yes. this is my son. Yeah. And pretty that's, prolific that's like, real estate investor. Every time. This is my son yeah. and he does this. And, he's great. Pretty yeah. prolific real estate investor. Actually, I met him at um, Ken McElroy's uh, conference, Limitless, last June in Phoenix. Is that in Phoenix every year? Or yes. Phoenix Costello? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Catch us in June, folks. Yeah. We'll be there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what I love about what Thack says is that He's just straight up, he's so real about it. He started his real estate investing career actually as a real estate agent. And he was just like a top real estate agent and then started buying real estate himself. And then now fast forward, he's like, yeah, he's like, I buy properties that are value add, meaning they're a little rundown. They're maybe the crappiest house in the neighborhood. He's like, good, love it. Because he can go in, buy it, fix it up a little bit, put in a renter and then keep it long term and then refinance out, take out whatever cash from there and use that to go buy the next property. So he's not a flipper. He's not one of these, you know, I, I made all this money in six months. He's a long-term hold kind of guy. And I just think that that's a very realistic, real-life approach to real estate investing. I love that. 
have to, uh, yeah, I was traveling for a while, so it kind of was off my radar because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like be comfortable in the city for a long time and I don't want to be like tied down to this particular geography. But now they're like, I pretty much really like Scottsdale, Phoenix. So I'm like, it's a huge city and there's so many just growing areas. So I should start taking a look. And the thing is, too, is that even if you're in a place where you're like, you know what, I might move in two years or whatever it is, why would you not still buy a property? Because even, you know, with buying a, a primary residence, one that you live in, you could get, for example, an FHA loan, mm-hmm. which is only three and a half percent down. This is not 20 percent down like a normal investment property. Three and a half percent down, for example, um, will get you into a house that you could house hack and you rent out the rooms. And then two years later, if you want to go move somewhere else, now you have an investment property that you can either keep and rent out. You'll always have it. Or you could cash out. You could sell it and use that money for your move or whatever. Or you could refinance against it. I mean, there's so many options that you have. I'll have to update you after, after thinking of that. Do, put, me yeah. back, put that one back on the radar. Uh, you launched another new initiative, so many new projects, the, the Young Rich Women Brands. What's the, the motivation behind that whole endeavor? Yeah. So with Real Rich Women, that came about because my real estate partner, Kathy, and I, and a good friend of ours, Char Modell, um, all three of us were sitting around for coffee, actually. And we were talking about how we have this initiative at the brokerage to help all of our real estate agents also become real estate investors. So we told that's them- That's super cool. It's awesome. I love it. It feels very fulfilling. It's very purposeful I don't think that's work. the standard. It's not. I don't think that's the standard. It, from yeah. what I've heard, it's definitely not. In my experience, having worked at other brokerages, it's definitely not. Um I love it. It feels very purposeful. Um, and we're literally changing mindsets, changing changing lives. And with our agents, we told them, look, you can become rich helping others buy and sell real estate, but you will get wealthy owning real estate. And we have agents who work with us who, many of whom are very experienced, and they they kind of came to this realization, oh my gosh, the only real estate I own is my home. And they're like, I've spent all these years finding these fabulous off-market investment deals for my investor clients, how how did I not just buy it myself, right? It was, it was like this like mind-blown right? thing, yeah. yeah. And so it's, one, it's cool seeing that mindset shift where they're like, whoa, wait a second. And this realization that to buy an investment property, you just need 20%. You don't need to be buying it cash. You don't have to, right? You, you can just get, you put down 20%. And as long as it pencils out where your tenant covers your mortgage, and your HOA fee, now you're into an investment for only your 20%. And I, I just, I, I love that it feels so purposeful. So we're sitting around talking about that, that we were so happy that we have this initiative. And we realized, wait, that this is a message that we should be bringing to, to everyone. Anyone who's in real estate, anyone who's thinking about real estate, um, get them excited about real estate investing, get them realizing that this is something that they can easily do. And that's when we came up with the Real Rich Women brand. What's the, kind of like explain the, the branding of the brand? So it's, it's kind of twofold. One is- uh, oh, like real estate? The, yeah, like, like the, real the estate investor, pun. right? Real estate, like we have two audiences, right? Kind of the real estate investor and then also the real estate agent. Um, with the real estate agent, we're sharing wins and losses from our careers as, as real estate brokerage owners and real estate investors and real estate agents as well. Um, and also the idea that as a real estate agent, you really run your own mini business. Yes, you're under a brand or you're under some brokerage, but you are running a small business yourself. So get your entrepreneur hat on because the best real estate agents out there are the ones that run their real estate business as a business. And then the other audience of real estate investors, um, 
and that cross-pollinates. We're capturing those real estate agents and saying, hey, you should also be a real estate investor. And I love seeing that mindset switch, um, getting people excited about that. And then also people just newbies, brand new to real estate in general, um, and turning them on to the idea of real estate investing and kind of dipping their toe through like house hacking or other kind of easier ways. You've been with that brand, with your personal brand, kind of omni-platform and like, I'd say pretty, there's a better word for that than omni-platform and just super prolific was the word I was looking for, prolific with tons of content everywhere all the time. Is that, like, why is that rewarding? Like, what happens because of that, right? Again, I think it's, like, deeper, right, than, like, likes and comments. Mm -hmm. Like, what's happening? Are people finding you? Are people coming to you with deals? Like, what's the reason that you invest so much effort or budget into doing that? It's kind of all of the above. So it's been really cool to, like, not only have unique deal flow and access, Mm -hmm. right? But most importantly, you get these DMs where people are like, hey, I watched your video about your shipping store and that inspired me and I actually started one in Washington state or I'm in the purchase or I'm in the middle of purchasing um, a a real estate business or I'm in the middle of, you know, basically taking action on something that I've been talking about. And I just think that's really cool because at the end of the day, it's really just fostering entrepreneurship, getting people excited about business and getting people excited about being self-sufficient and self-reliant. I think that's huge. I think for a lot of people, right, like they'll look at you and when they're listening to this and see like 100K on Instagram, they'll see all the, the blue checks and they'll feel like, okay, well, I don't know how long it's going to take to get 100K. Is there a threshold or like when did that start stuff start happening? Because I think for a lot of people, they need some commitment level in terms of like be like, you should commit to this for like, I don't know, 90 days, 180 days, a whole year. If your mindset's set appropriately where it's like you're going to do this for this long with this much effort before expecting anything to happen so you don't quit like prematurely. But was there a sooner than you thought than level where like right off the bat, these things are starting to happen. Because a lot of people will be like, okay, yeah, if I have 100,000 followers, then of course someone's going to see it. But like, I'm here with just my 500 friends from high school. And like, what? that's my whole Instagram. Mm-hmm. So with my personal brand, it kind of came in waves and tranches because of the different happenings that I've had in my mm-hmm. life. So um, if you look back, and I don't recommend this, if you look all <laughs> the way back to my very first posts on Instagram, this is back from what, 2010? I mean, it's a long time ago. Um, I used IG for my modeling because I had just finished modeling through college and law school. And so it was like my modeling photos. Um, I think we also know what type of audience that attracts. And so I quickly realized, wait, now I'm I'm this like working professional. I work in a law firm. Um, let me switch up what I'm doing with Instagram because I quickly realized, wait, this is, this is a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. This is a marketing tool at that time. And I still do. I, like I used my personal Facebook f- to keep in touch with friends and family. Um, close personal friends. And then I realized with Instagram, it has a much larger reach. Um, It's public. And so um, I was like, how do I utilize this marketing tool to fit what I want to be using social media for? And so for me, that was, if I'm going to elevate personal brand, what, what do I want my brand to be? I want it to be real. I want it to be inspiring. I want it to be motivating. Um, I want it to help people. And so just with that kind of basic guideline, um, I just started posting not only stuff I was doing in my life, but then I would post if I came across any sort of like motivational memes or um, quotes that I, that spoke to me that I got any use out of, I would post it. And that's really just how it got started. Um, and then my time with Miss Nevada, I got another bump. Anytime that we've done any like TV or things like that, I'll get a bump. Um, but I don't think it matters the amount of followers, I think it's more about who are you reaching and how are you reaching them. 
And if you commit to something as simple as you're going to post every day for 90 days, there will be some sort of growth there. I, I don't care what metric you're using, whether it's followers, whether it's views, whether it's likes, whether it's real plays. If you post every day for 90 days, there will be some sort of increase. Now, the question is, what are you posting and how are you posting it? Um, and that's going to come down to why are you on social media in the first place? What are you using it for? Why do you want to use it? And for me, social media is, I think, is incredible because it's this truly free marketing tool. It's a free marketing tool that allows you to put out whichever message you want to be putting out there. You have complete control over your content. And as a result, why not be intentional about what you're putting out there and figure out what do you want the end result to be? And and I love that um, I get DMs every day from people who are like, I saw this and I started doing this and that inspired me to do this. Um, over and over and over, I get that. And that's very fulfilling to me. That's amazing. I think that's super helpful. I think one of the, again, so I'm three years into this podcast, more than three years in, and just some of the most for really just any endeavor, you just have to commit to doing it before the results are supposed to come in. So it's like, because nothing happens in seven days of posting straight. It's really like, I think 90 days is good. 30 is a little short mm -hmm. for committing to do something without looking at any of the results right. for up to a certain period of time. So for myself and Kyle, who helps with, well, not helps, who is the co-host of the podcast. He's just not here today because in-person episodes, whatever. But the most important thing we ever did was say, we're going to you know do 25 episodes and publish 25 episodes before looking at any analytics, mm -hmm. before asking ourselves any questions. Is mm -hmm. this worthwhile? Is this fun, et cetera? Like 25 whole episodes, mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of work, but in the scheme of three years looking back was, I don't know, that was like two weeks. I don't know, like more than yeah, two weeks. Yeah, 25, but like, it's, bang it's them like, out Exactly. Quick. Yeah. So, yeah. And I can guarantee there's no way we would have kept going after, you know, because six episodes in, of course, we actually did check the analytics six episodes in and <laughs> yeah. one episode in. We're like, how many we posted today? How come this doesn't have a million like, we views? We got two views. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but those, I mean, those numbers are so discouraging, but it's just so irrational to actually be discouraged by those numbers. It's discouraging if you have no clue what's going on. It's discouraging if you have the wrong mindset and the wrong framing going into it. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually thinking kind of not even that long term, just 25 episodes, like a six week sprint. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You and, just and persevere you would, through that period. And right on real estate too. I mean, I tell our agents, I'm like, you have to commit to this for at least one year, but realistically three. I'm like, you may not get a deal. You know what I mean? Like you really have to commit. And same thing with small business, right? That, that's why they say it takes at least three years on a small business. Now, that's not what we see on social media. Mm -hmm. we, we see that six months in, I've got a Lamborghini exactly. and whatever. That's not real life. That's not actually what happens. And sometimes it's just a matter of outlasting your competition. One of my shipping stores is on uh, Fort Apache Road here in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, it's been open five years. There was a um, competitor, independent store, very close to us, actually, um, who was the FedEx authorized retailer for the territory. Um, and they had been there like 14 years or something like that. They just closed March of this year because their rent got out of control on the renewal. And the owner was was like, I'm good on this. And so we came in and um, I'd already had a relationship with them. And so instead of buying that location because it was so close, we just transferred over their mailbox customers to us, which was awesome. We were so happy to help them and give them a new home. Um, and guess what? Now we're the FedEx authorized retailer <laughs> for the territory because we outlasted them, right? It was something as simple as that. It's not because we were better. It's not because we were smarter. It's not because we were faster. It was simply because we just outlasted them. So with, with business, with social, with, with even building a YouTube channel, it does take, there's going to be a grind period. There's going to be a grind where you're like, I'm tired. 
and I don't have, you know, I'm not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel quite yet. So that's why you have to commit to some other larger metric, whether it's 25 episodes, 90 days straight, five years, you have, you've got to commit to some other longer timeline that, that gives you an opportunity to look back and say, wow, we did have a lot of progress actually. Yeah. What my business partner, I always say is like, we just have to exist doing the same thing long enough for good things to happen to us. Yes. 100%. That's right. It's a longevity game for business, yeah. real estate, anything else. Because everything's about the the conversion window of like all of the people you know on day one may not have anything relevant to, to help you or mm-hmm. to send anything your way. But over the course of 12 to 24 months, like there's some percentage of all the people that you know mm-hmm. that are eventually going to run into someone who does the thing or who needs help with the thing that you help people with. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're still that person, top of mind for them that whole time, they will send you things. And the time and longevity builds authority, which is exactly what you're talking about. And then you become that go-to resource. Maybe not in year one, but certainly in year three, certainly in year five, certainly in year 10, you are the resource. Exactly. And I think what helps people as well who kind of have this desire to like have their hands in multiple buckets or like are afraid to commit to one thing. I mean, you're a really good example of, you know, you still have all the things that you have. Like you reach a level of sophistication and maturity an organization where you personally are not inside of these operations constantly, but if someone still, you know, needs cupcakes or needs real estate or ever all these things, like you still are the person. You just, you know, send it through the appropriate channels. But if you stay with it, like, again, I have lots of people who help me with the podcast, but I'm still on the podcast. People are still going to think of me to send really cool people to interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can, you know, funnel it to whatever else down the line, but just committing to one thing is not not committing. It's not saying I'm not going to be able to ever do anything ever again as well. And I think like, I always try to think through like what things have I learned that I really am trying to communicate to other people and like what reasons do they stop from doing it? And I think that's a big one as well. It's like this fear of if I commit to this, I'm closing every other door forever. And that's just so not the case. Which is such a like a um, scarcity mindset. Yes. Right. It's it's saying, oh, if if I, um, st- you know, if I say yes to this, then I have to stop what I'm doing over here to direct my attention there. That's actually not the case. You don't have to stop what you're doing here. Um, I think just everything that I've built has kind of been a perfect example where if I have a goal of I'm going to start this and I will grind it out in the beginning because I want to know every part of the business. My goal is not to stay in the business as an operator forever. I want to scale up and scale out. And that's exactly what I've been able to do. You scale up and scale out and that frees up your time and your bandwidth to take on another thing, right? You take it on, you take on some other thing. But realistically, if you look across everything that I do, especially even with the fund, everything I do gets to kind of roll up into um, fund around like deal flow. Um, everything that I have with business actually is very helpful when we're doing the due diligence on other businesses. Um, it it should all be pretty synergistic, even if it feels like it's different industries, different buckets. There should be some sort of cohesion because you are the common denominator. Mm-hmm. It's still you. You still have core things that you're good at and that that you're not good at and that you like and that you don't like. And so you will bring that same kind of personality subset into everything that you do. Absolutely. I think just people don't realize how made up so many of the rules are mm. in terms of like, like we can take a break from the podcast. We can all of a sudden, like for years we were committed to, and I, I use all these examples from the podcast. Maybe I can like think of something more broad, but we are committed to the idea that we both had to be on every episode. And that mm. made life so difficult because mm. to get three people and again, our guests are really incredible, successful people. Yep. And to get their calendar, our calendar, like all in the same place, same time. Like that was the biggest point of friction. Mm. Like we make the rules. Yeah. This is our show. Yeah. We don't have to be 
on every episode again. Like so many mm-hmm. of these things that like are adding so much difficulty are just so mm-hmm. made up. It's like we have to publish every single week, no matter what, on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. we like missed one. I'm like, uh oh, no. Mm-hmm. People are just aren't. First of all, no one's paying as much thought to what you're doing as you are. Exactly. And no one yeah. will notice that this one was eight days apart instead of seven days apart. And if they do notice, it means your show's going well and that's mm-hmm. great. And if they don't notice, it means you're overthinking it the whole time exactly. as well. So, other cool stuff. I think we have time for uh, a couple of bonus questions. Uh, what would you say has you kind of like most excited right now? Like, what are you like super just, if you're going to like go home and like work on one thing for like the rest of the day and like you would just like go crazy, like what would it be? It would be super fun. I am just loving the work that we're doing with the fund. It's just, it feels so meaningful, so purposeful. And this is really for us a a multi-decade journey Mm. because of the type of founders that we're investing in, the type of technologies that are coming out of private sector right now. Um, It's just a really exciting time, I think. And um, Maybe more specific in terms of like, what does working on the fund mean? Does that mean looking at decks? Does that mean reaching out to founders? Does that mean like, probably not, but like doing like fund administrative paperwork to like prepare the legal structure for all the things that are to come? Like what is working on the fun in a fun way mean? Or it's just the whole mission behind it is so fun that like anything related to it just feels motivating. So with the fund right now, um, we've been doing outreach with family offices to become LPs. And we actually just closed one, um, and I can publicly talk about it, um, the Craft Group, which is the Craft family that owns the New England Patriots, Mm -hmm. among other assets. And that was a huge win for us. We're super excited about that. And so we've, we're, breaking into this next layer of investors. So it used to be um, kind of just high net worth individuals. Um, And then that next layer is family offices, which really if all it is, is that like you're a high net worth individual that has so much money that now you have a family office because you have someone else to manage your money to go make investments for you, right? And um, that's been really exciting to kind of break into that next layer of family offices to learn about what what their investment theses are and, and what they're looking for and how they want to support. And so um, that's been really fun. So we just broke into that. Amazing. Uh, one other thing I didn't have a chance to get into is like your policy work that you've been doing. I think that's also fairly yeah. new. Uh, let's like the high level overview of why, again, you've been involved for politics, you ran for Congress here in Nevada. Uh, what's this kind of current, how's it taking form right now? Yes, I'm so grateful. So I'm still very much involved politically, but behind the scenes, I'm mm-hmm. obviously no longer a forward-facing candidate. Um, and one of the ways that I'm very involved is I serve on the board of Nevada Policy Research Institute. Uh, this is a nonprofit, nonpartisan um, think tank, essentially, that's focused on conservative economic policy. And the work they're doing is just so good. Um, they're you know, they're scrubbing every single bill that's coming up uh, with the Nevada legislature. They're looking through everything to to really communicate it in a digestible way to kind of everyday citizens. So that way, we, I, I think especially as business people too, we're so busy with our work, right? We're head down working yeah. on the podcast, working on the fund, working on the real estate brokerage, whatever it is, we're working on our stuff. And so when we pop our heads up, sometimes we're surprised at like what happened? rent control or whatever crazy yeah. stuff comes down. And you're like, how did this even happen? Yeah, Yeah. how did this even happen? And um, that's what I appreciate about Nevada policy. They're a bit of a watchdog where they say, look, we're going to be paying attention to all this stuff and we're going to communicate it to you in layman's terms so that you as a Nevadan know what the heck is going on in your state, in your backyard. Because these regulations and all these rules that are made by the lawmakers, they do affect us. They affect business owners. They affect us as everyday citizens. So- we we should be knowing about them. And I love that Nevada policy is at the forefront of doing the work. Are there any other kind of independent sources? So like I was telling my parents the other day, I'm like, 
if your goal is to, you know, stay informed as vague of a goal as that is, that's an impossibly vague yeah. goal. It's not a smart goal, staying informed. Right. Uh, there's nothing specific or measurable about staying informed. But vaguely, everyone knows what I mean by when I say that. And I'm like, don't watch any of the mainstream channels because that would be the least effective way to stay informed. It's like, just find a couple independent journalists that you like. So I like, I think Glenn Greenwald's good. I think Barry Weiss does a good job. Are there any kind of people that you follow, whether it's other think tanks as well, in terms of like a really specific digestible way that's like staying abreast on a particular like part of what's happening in society from a more as much as possible neutral source. Yeah. So on on um, economic policy, certainly Mike Solana, mm-hmm. Pyro Wires, he's good. Mm-hmm. So I I mean, certainly just any any of the think tanks that are out there that are just keeping a, a hawkeye on the policy that's coming up for debate where they can just expel that out to you and explain to you what's going on. So obviously, I think Nevada Policy does a great job with it here on a state level. Um, Club for Growth does a great job with it as well. They're a conservative economic think tank um, that's just simply focused on the policy, right? And and then they can share that information around how it would actually affect regulation, how it affects people who are in business, um, everyday citizens, parents, whatever it is. It, it breaks it down really well. Amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for uh, having Where, again, your Instagram's pretty good. Like, you do a really good job on multi- a lot of people, like, try to maintain a lot of channels and don't really keep up the volume. But right now, like, I need to know, like, well, I would say is your primary. Uh, but what's the best place to keep up with you, your different projects, support everything, maybe the shout out for the fund if people want to read about that? Yes, thank you. So you could head over to veteran.fund and learn more about the fund there. Um, and then for me personally, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, at Lisa Song Sutton. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.